Uh, well, hi, everybody. It's, it's really good to be here. I'm going to tell you why, because in southeastern Pennsylvania, where I live, it's 109 degrees out with the heat index, because we're, like, you guys are up high, so, like, you get something called a breeze, which we don't see in the summertime. We live in the valley, and all the humidity just descends, so I may not leave. Thank you for timing it perfectly, by the way. It's going to be 80 tomorrow, the high. Today, it's 100 and something. So, anyway, I'm very glad to be here. All right, our reading today is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Here's the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since this is how God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and the love and his love is perfected in us. The word of the Lord. No one has ever seen God. And if you think you have, we usually cart you off someplace and give you medication. My atheist friends and agnostic friends are always telling me, I don't believe in God because I have never seen him. I need evidence. I need something to point to. And you know what? I get it because don't all of us live in the modern world? How, how are we used to knowing things by seeing things, by experimenting, by proving, by pointing and saying, there is this, there is this. Now we know. Now we don't know. But it doesn't work that way, does it? No one has ever seen God. I mean, think about this. Here we are in a beautiful place, and I'm up here talking about God, and we're praying about, to God, and we're asking God for things, and we're singing hymns to this God, and we've never seen this God. And it's difficult. And actually, it's harder than that, right? We all live in, you know this, we all live in the modern world. It's harder than that, because not only have we not seen God, what we do see isn't always encouraging for the existence of God, so to speak. Tragedies happen all the time that are just stupid, that shouldn't happen, not in a million years, but there they are. Where's God when you need him? And then you got this whole science thing. Any scientists out there, anybody interested in science? I'm interested, I know enough to be dangerous when it comes to science. I really love science, but I don't do math, so that pretty much knocks me out of the picture. But you know, I, I think about things like the size of the universe and the age of the universe and how there are a hundred billion stars in our galaxy and hundreds of billions of galaxies in the universe that's expanding and that's almost 14 billion years old. We don't even know what those numbers mean. And then the question is people say, and I get this, I'm sympathetic, boy am I sympathetic. They ask, where is God? What does it mean to say God exists where? Believing in God is not always easy and sometimes I think a lot is expected of us. But, you know, I think of John's gospel, though. This is like going back now 2,000 years, and a lot of you are familiar with that gospel and how the gospel ends. Toward the end, you have this guy, Thomas, who shows up, and that's one of the more famous Bible stories. And people tell him, like, hey, Thomas, Jesus isn't dead anymore. And he goes, no, nah, I don't believe it. 
I need to see it with my own eyes and, see it and touch it with my own hands. So Jesus, bam, shows up. If we're only that easy, by the way, for us to have these moments, obviously there's Jesus, right? So Jesus shows up and he says, hey, Thomas, I'm here. You want to touch my hands? You want to touch my sides? And then Thomas confesses, I believe. And Jesus says, and this is the thing that gets to me. This is the thing that I connect with. Jesus says, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe and who have not seen. Now I ask myself, why is that in John's gospel and not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke? And my theory is, and this, I'm hardly alone in this, John's gospel is written maybe 60 to 70 years after anyone would have had any direct contact with Jesus. And guess what? There are people living back then, 2,000 years ago, for whom belief wasn't easy. So John makes sure this story gets in there, the story of a doubter. And they're encouraged now to, even if you don't see, believe. See, it was an issue back then. It was something that people had to deal with even back then, not just us. So, and me too. You know, I feel this way. I, I, I don't mind telling you, you know, I'm, I'm a, a person who likes to be aware of his surroundings and I like to think about stuff. And I sort of struggle with faith as well. Does anybody else here struggle with faith? I'm going to make you raise your hands. Eight of you, good. The rest of you are going for a, no, most of you raise your hand. Good. So, see, it's, it's sort of a normal thing, right, to struggle. And that's why I like a passage like the one we read, because it orients me in a different way than I want to have an answer to that question. It challenges me in different ways, and I love this passage, right? See, it's talking about not seeing God, but knowing God. It's a knowing that comes without seeing. It's a hopeful note for us, at least it is for me, and I hope it will be for you as well. See, he starts, let me just, I'm gonna go through this passage, not, not super long, but just there's some things in here that I think are worth looking at. It, just, it begins again, it says, beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. You know, if any of you went to seminary or something and you studied Greek and you read this, this is easy to read. This is like baby Greek. This is like super easy and it gives the impression that this is like not deep. This is really deep. It's very circular. But John, I'm convinced, is sort of a mystic. He sees things that the rest of us maybe struggle to see. And he's talking about God is love, which raises the question in my mind, okay, well, what is this love? What does it mean? Well, he goes on to explain this in the next verse. He goes, God's love was revealed among us this way. This is how God's love was revealed. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Side issue, I like how John doesn't say God sent his son into the world that we might go to heaven after we die. That's not his thing. He's talking about right now living through him. That's why God sent his son. It's for us now. It's for us in how we live. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for us. See, I, I pick up a few things there. First of all, what is God's love like? It is sacrificial. He makes the first move. We don't. And it's also vulnerable, and it's even, I'm going to say, 
humiliating. All right, remember in junior high school, think back, meditate for a moment, think back at junior high school. Anybody ever get picked on in junior high school? Yeah, of course. So I just, you know, and of course you have this person in the middle who's just getting picked on and surrounded by, not bullies, but just like the whole class, picking on them, picking on them, picking on them. And there you are. You know what you did? You entered that circle and you partied and went right to that person who's suffering. You put your arms around. No, you didn't. You were like me. You were in that circle. Making, you were either in the circle, in the middle of it, getting a hard time, or you were on the outside, right? Because, I mean, just imagine going into that moment in junior high school where you're going to be looked at funny. You're making yourself very, very vulnerable, and it's actually humiliating and shaming to be in that moment to identify with that person, to show love to that person who needs it most. See, the love of God is a humiliating and vulnerable and even shaming love. Why do I say that? Because the cross, that's why I say that. The cross was not just a way of, like a convenient way of killing people in the Roman Empire. It was a means of execution perfected by the Romans. Listen, they could have just chopped your head off like on Game of Thrones, but they didn't do that. They stripped you naked, they beat you to a bloody pulp, they left you hanging there in excruciating pain, hopefully for days, if things go well. Don't want, to, don't want to beat them too much because they might die too quickly. Leave them up there because they are a source of shame and humiliation. If you confront the Roman Empire, this is what happens to you. Don't mess with us. One of the weird things about the gospel, I think, is that this is how God shows up in the first century. Involved with embracing, embodying a humiliating death. It's not just that Jesus died. It's that Jesus was shamed and humiliated and made ultra-vulnerable. Right, this is why Paul has to say, for example, in Romans chapter five, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God for salvation for all those who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I used to think that meant, when I was growing up, don't be afraid to tell people about Jesus, which is fine. Paul's not afraid to tell anybody about Jesus. He's just saying, I'm not ashamed. Why would he be ashamed? Look at how it starts. It starts with God identifying with the Roman symbol of humiliation, of vulnerability, and of shame. See, that is the love of God for us. That's what it looks like. And so he goes on, John goes on to say in verse, uh, verse 11, he goes, beloved, since this is how God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our model for loving one another, to be God-like, is to have a love that is self-sacrificial, where our ego steps to the side, where we love even those people we might not feel like loving, it's a love that is vulnerable, that is giving of ourselves, and that's so difficult to do. And then we get to verse 12. See, this is the thing, this is the thing that always brings me home. Verse 12, this is how he ends this. He says here, no one's ever seen God. Again, it was an issue. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, guess what? Then you're gonna see God? No, you're not gonna see God but you're gonna see God inside, 
internally. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. See, the search for God, I mean, I have to admit, I think this way far too often. What do you think of God's existence or something like that? My mind always goes outward to out there. I always think, what's out there that I can sort of point to and show that I believe God exists? But at least according to John, the answer isn't going outward. It's not a better telescope. It's not a better math formula. It's not a better physicist. It's not a better whatever you need in science to figure stuff out. It's not that. The journey's not outward. It's inward. That is where you see if you are loving others, that is when you sense the presence of God in you. Now that might, seem like, might not seem like a big deal, but it is if you're in it. That's the proof. How we love each other, how we treat each other. Oh man, I hate that. I love judging people. I love being better than anybody else. You know, I'm not very, I'm not, but believe me, you could all leave right now. I would keep talking because I need to hear this. You guys can't leave because you sound too good, okay, that you're saying, right? But, you know, it's not like God is an object out there we need evidence for, like, you know, a black hole or a, a, a crab nebula or something like that. If God exists, God is more subtle than that, I believe. And God's presence is made known in us as we love other people. And who are those other people? Pretty much everybody. Or maybe not pretty much. Maybe everybody. Oh man, this is so hard. Take me back to my carefree days when I never thought about stuff like this, but there you have it. See, I've got a couple friends here. I want to tell you a couple of stories here. Um, one friend of mine, I've known her for maybe 20 years now, and she was raised in a, in a very strong Christian home, and in a lot of respects, a pretty healthy Christian home. It was an evangelical context. But for a number of reasons, she crossed over to atheism or agnosticism. And by the way, folks, I'm not, don't, don't mishear me. I do think that's a journey that people have to take sometimes. It's almost like pressing reset on your faith and getting rid of all the garbage, right? And so she, there she was, and she's also a scientist, so she thinks about stuff all the time. And so she left the faith and is just doing her science stuff someplace. But anyway, I got a, um, a Facebook message from her about maybe uh, a few months ago. I hadn't talked to her for two or three years. And she said, can we talk on the phone? I said, yeah, let's talk on the phone. And it was an hour of her trying to hold back her tears because she's having a difficult time with some things. And here's what she said. I miss the community. And so she, we were talking about, you know, how can you believe in God knowing the things that I know too? How does that even work? So we talked about that, but that's not the point. The point is that she missed the community. See, that's where she saw the presence of God. She might not have put it that way, but that's where she saw it. She saw it in the other people. I think what she does, what she really misses is God's presence filtered through the church that she was a part of and the community that she was a part of. You know, it's your experience, in other words. It's not an argument about whether God exists or not. It's not, you know, biting the latest atheist or whatever. That's not the point. The point is it was her experience of God in that church setting 
that's stuck with her and she wants it back. And she's now in a process that many people, maybe many of you are in this process too, of redefining your faith because you know there's something in there that's worth thinking about and worth keeping and worth holding on to, even if you have to get rid of all the language and all the trapping that you were raised with. You might be in that place. Well, she's in that place too in her early 60s. And then there was another friend of mine, likewise grew up in a, a Christian home, fairly conservative, and his story's a little bit different. He was ostracized by his community, and he was pushed out, and he was shunned because of questions that he was asking and answers that he was giving to himself that he thought made a lot of sense. In his community, he encountered a lot of hostility. You know, I, um, I have a, a blog uh, that was mentioned, and a few years ago I had a survey on this blog asking people, send me one or two things that make it hard for you to stay Christian. One or two things that are just constant obstacles to keep just butting your head against. And they give, you know, the regular stuff, science, or there's violence in the Bible, all sorts of stuff, r- typical and really true and serious things. But one of the things that a lot of people mentioned I was not even thinking about was, okay, you want to hear something that makes it hard for me to stay Christian? It's how other Christians treated me because they disagree with me or they don't like me for some reason. And that's this guy's experience. And I've been in contexts like that, more, you know, let's say conservative contexts where it was very quick to push people out because they didn't quite fit. And I, I know several people in my life who functionally left the faith and are atheists. And again, I'm gonna be careful. I'm not saying that like it is an alarmist term. I think I've gone through atheist moments in my life when nothing made sense to me. I, th- I think that's a normal part of spiritual development. That's my opinion. I'm just saying that in case some of you are thinking I'm just bashing you if you're going through a moment right now. I'm not, right? But he left the Christian faith and he has no interest in going back. And I've been in context where people have left because of how they were treated in really sometimes just passive aggressive, insidious, horrible ways to plan to even ruin their lives because they didn't sign on the, bot- on the dotted line the way they were told to. I just got back from a conference. I don't know if, if how many of you have heard of the Wild Goose Conference. Any hands go up there? Okay. Just Google it if you don't know what that is. It's, it, to me, it's, it's a really interesting place to be, but I wound up speaking, I was there for four days, speaking with you know, a couple times in front of a lot of people, but other times in like very small groups of people just talking about how they were struggling with maintaining any sort of faith because they were born Southern Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or Catholic or anything. And they realized that they were maybe different than others around them and they didn't know who to tell and they finally decided to talk about whatever the issue is, whether human sexuality or whether they think about Jesus or science or whatever. And their families threw them out or their churches threw them out. And now they're trying to find their way back to that community somehow. But you see, how you're treated is a big deal. I mean, think of it this way. We'll never have evidence that God exists. Not the way we normally think of it. But the best evidence we have is how people who say they follow Christ treat each other. 
That's the best evidence we have. And for some of these people, like my friend and others, that evidence has been tainted. And once it's been tainted, it's very, very hard to go back and trust the community again. Well, loving as God loves is very, very hard. Because it requires us to, well, do what God does, which is basically die. And not put ourselves at the front and our desires and whatnot. And I have to tell you, I'm 58, I'm still learning this stuff. That's never going to stop. I've got all sorts of things, all sorts of filters that I have to work through in my life. All sorts of people, like I said before, I'm good at judging people. I can just walk down a street and I can put people in categories real quickly. Anybody else like that? Yeah, you're all horrible people just like me. Never, don't do that, right? But I'm good at it and, I just, and it doesn't matter. It's what they look like, it's what they walk like, it's what they talk like. We, that's almost a human thing. We tend to put people in categories so we can control the universe better because we all want to control things. But the love of God is about losing control of those things and dying to self and loving sacrificially and vulnerably others around us, which is a very, very, very hard thing to do. See, here's this. We can't control, we can't control things like what science tells us and how that challenges our perception of reality. Right? We can't control that. We can't control things like natural disasters that make people think once or twice, is there really a God when this village just got swallowed up by a landslide or something? Can can God really exist in the midst of that? These are old questions, folks. We can't control any of the, those are pre-biblical questions that people of antiquity asked. We can't control those situations. The only thing we can control is how we act. And I think, I'm speaking to myself now, if we put our effort into that, into how we act and speak towards other people, and we come towards them assuming a position of love and not a position of being better, assuming a position of love and not a position of building walls and tearing others down and being right when they're wrong, if we do that, it will go a very, very long way. Brothers and sisters, no one has ever seen God But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. Amen.